Mr. Jordheim. Hello, Mr. Shah. How are you today, Kamya? I am well. How about you, my friend? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. So what kind of fun things are you up to uh, these days with uh, your consulting business and your other interesting ventures? Uh, you know, uh, every day uh, is a new challenge, new clients, uh, new goals, and no day is the same as the day before or the day after. So you can relate. You've been long yes. enough. In business. <laughs> that makes it interesting, doesn't it? So. Bad. Very right. That's uh, I, I. I always have wondered, you know, how it would have been if I had to work only for one company. So it's uh, it it probably wouldn't have been as as exciting every day. No, uh, and you'd you'd have either gotten really bored, or you would have gotten so granular that you'd have been the genius of minutia at that company. Yeah, right? yeah, one that's right. <laughs> yep. And both of them are not good. So, <laughs> Right. Right. Well, I'm, I'm wondering from the clients you've been speaking to recently, how many ask you, how do I grow and scale my business? Right. Isn't that everyone's uh, sort of, uh, you know, not in their gut? How do I grow this and how do I scale this? Oh, my God. That is probably a... I want, I want to say without hyperbole, that's probably three-fourths of what I do or have been doing the last two, three years. Uh, growth and scaling has become a tremendous challenge for small and mid-sized businesses. I mean, uh, they reach a point where they have, you know, when they have five to $10 million revenue and then staggering along the way for a year or two and have no... A way of determining the right path, the right uh, you know SOPs, the right tools to get them going. So I I I, I can I can tell you stories about uh, different approaches, different uh, failures and successes. I mean, it's not always successes, right? Not right. everything. Not everything is hundred percent all the time. You know, you can't you can't bat a hundred all the time. So. Uh, yeah, that, that right. seems to be on a lot of entrepreneurs' minds these days. Well, and as, a, as, as an entrepreneur and a business person, I look at things and say, well, why can't we just repeat that 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, a million times? You know, I got, I got my first uh, 200 listeners from my podcast, so why can't I move the decimal point a couple times and get 2 million listeners, right? That, I mean, it right. sounds so simple, doesn't it? Yes, and theoretically it is. <laughs> theoretically, it really is a matter of, uh, you know, just doing more of what you are good at. But the problem is that uh, with, with scaling and growth, it's always uh, not a question of, of the effort as opposed to where the efforts go toward, right? Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, you meet a lot of entrepreneurs that are subject matter experts, right? Right. Uh, in any niche, right? They, the guy have come come up with a great idea, has gotten his business to million to five million, and then uh, wonders why he cannot scale, right? Right. And then, uh, uh, on the first glance, it's a good question. You've gotten it to this point, so what's going to happen, you know, from here, and why shouldn't it work the same way? But uh, you know, traditional methodology eventually stops working 
uh, not in terms of maintaining the status quo, but more along the lines of uh, it requires a, a, uh, a different approach to emphasize the areas that are less, uh, that are less important in terms of growth and scale and put the actual right. effort toward things that really matter, right? And most of the time, uh, from my personal experience at least, uh, I have viewed and seen where, where, where they go into it with the mindset that I should just do more, right? right. Like uh, hard work will get me there. And I couldn't be further from the truth. Yes, there are exceptions. You know, we all have seen exception to the rules. But in reality, it is, it is it's a different, different style of business, right? It's a different approach. You, 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 know, you have to consider many other things. And as your teams grow, for instance, the operation side of things, right? Yeah. You, you had a five-person organization. And in order to grow and you know, create more revenue, you're going to have to fire uh, to hire five more people. Hiring five people and managing five people is fundamentally different than managing 10 people. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Then, then you start going into the territory of, okay, what do I need to standardize this process? How do I onboard people not shooting from a hip but have SOPs? So right. I can you know, hire tests and promote quickly or hire tests and, and you know, separate my ways with that person because it didn't work. Right. And then how do you know where your thresholds are in growth, right? Because the SOPs you make for the five new people, they all break at a certain point when you add another five, another 50, I don't know, whatever that number is, all those SOPs break and you got to redo them. Yeah, right? you got to redo them to adapt them to your ever-growing needs, right? And then your tools differ. You have to use different reuse. I mean, when you have an office with five people sitting that, that are constantly talking to each other, collaboration is not an issue. But right. when you have a team of 30 people, 10 of them, <coughs> sorry, 10 of them in, in your local office and the rest across the country, collaboration becomes suddenly an issue, right? Right. Uh, you, need, you need collaboration tools. You need then on top of it, how do you monitor that collaboration? How do you, how do you uh, incentivize it? How do you get people to collaborate more effectively while being productive. So the considerations all change and have to be adapted to. But what always gets me isn't the fact that there are changes necessary. What gets me always is when the entrepreneurs are at last, uh, at last when you tell them that uh, what you have done until now, it's great. You got it to where it is, but the game is changing now. Okay, you have to adapt a different mindset. You can't be in the business running the business. You have to run the business itself. Right. You have to delegate. You can't. You can't be down and dirty uh, in 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 you know in the mud every day and putting out fires. You have to go out and you have to go sell your idea. You have to raise funds. You have to go get bigger manufacturing, or you have to go get more service providers. You can't be bogged down in the daily hassle and the daily battle of running a business. And then I refer to that, you know, as a drama-free business. 
And then with me, me, a what <laughs> a drama free business. Yeah, hey, that's that's good that's luck with that, cool. brother. I, I'm, you know, it, it it is doable if you have the right tools and the right people. But if you want your scale, your business to grow, you have to shoot for that, right? I mean, at one point, you you don't have the luxury of dealing with nonsense, right? At right. one point, you have to be sure your team will do as you expect them to do. Gossip has no place in that. Personal issues has no place in that. So when, when, you, when you make that a mantra for your organization, a drama-free business, you're affording yourselves a more effective team. Yes, right. it takes a lot more to get there because your selection and your, your hiring processes will differ. And then you have to be concerned about organizational culture and blah, blah, blah. But once you have the right team, then you can step outside and look at it from the bird view, okay? And say, all right, my team now can produce at the same or higher quantity while maintaining the quality assurance. And now I can increase that production while not losing my quality. So well, all so- of yeah, so that's that that's got to all work together. But one of the, one of the points you bring up, which I think is wonderful, so got to be able to scale the trust in the organization because to get to a point where you can just send a quick barking email at someone, hey, stop that, hey, do that, without them uh, putting any tone in that or without them worrying that, oh my God, what what did he mean when he said stop that, right? Yeah. That no, it's to scale that kind of trust. Um, that's a tricky thing too. Sometimes, isn't it? Not not only it's tricky, it is delicate. It's uh, it takes you have to adapt to both personalities in terms of individuality, as well as the group dynamic. Right? There is always the the uh, the kingmakers in the group, right? They are always the troublemakers, yeah. right? You, you have different personalities. You have to adapt to those and you have to get them to work with each other. And it's not one of those one-off things. You don't do that and it's done. It's a continuous process in which you have to, you know, keep motivating them, keep incentivizing them, keep getting your human capital to a point where, uh, this is the last thing you worry about, right? Where you say, I don't worry about my team. My team will solve the problems. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't have to worry about you know, them bringing uh, their issues and you know, interfering with the cohesiveness of my team. Well, so, that sounds like I, I'm inspired to create another training game now because you know this uh, Starship Junkyard sales training game I created is yes. all about salespeople getting the emotional highs and lows and fighting with each other in a safe and fun environment so that when they're actually selling, they can laugh at the tension rather than get upset by it. But it sounds like we need a game where you play different office personalities where, you know, I'm the gossiper and you're the kingmaker and this one here is the, the one who hides or whatever. I mean, we could come up with... 10 or 20 different personas and play a hilarious game where people get to explore just how ridiculous some of these dynamics can be 
So when they catch themselves doing that, they can just laugh and go, oh, gosh, that's pretty funny. And yeah. get back oh. to work, right? So. I, would make, I would think that would make a wonderful game. <laughs> no, because, you know, in reality, it is, it is the human capital, you know, that, that matters the most. You, you, you see that. You see uh, companies priding themselves in their product. I'm one of the firm believers that no matter what business industry you are in as an entrepreneur, your most valued asset is your human capital, okay? Without the human capital, without, without the right human capital, you have nothing. I don't care what product you have, okay? I don't care what service you have. If you are in business of offering products and services, the most valuable asset is your human capital. Well, and that, that's part of the problem in scaling too, right? If you only have a few people on your team, you can really get to know them and know their strengths and, their, and what they're suitable for and really point them in, a, in the right direction. But when you have a large HR department or a large HR vendor trying to hire a thousand people for you, how do you make sure the selection process is correct and that you're putting people where they're well-suited, right? So I, I, I tell people sometimes, you know, Try to get a poodle to herd sheep. It ain't going to happen, you know? No, I, that's a very good point. The scaling part of this becomes even more difficult when you are talking about hundreds of hundreds of people. But then we are, we are going outside of the realm of, of scaling that requires conviction, right? The conviction comes from the top. The top being the entrepreneur and the senior yeah. management. Yeah. Those organizational, cultural uh, environments are inherently dictated. Yes, in a company with 1,000 people, you can't mentor every single one of your new employees. But what you can do is enable groups, smaller cluster of people to devise their own cohesive environment. Right. That works in conjunction with other clusters. Right. So it's, it's, it requires, it's always a top-down kind of a thing, right? You, you start the, the CEO, the entrepreneur sets the tone. We are, for instance, an organization that will not sacrifice the sanity of our employees for customers, right? Right. The right. customer is right. We are delighted to serve them. But I'm a firm, I'm personally a firm believer that I will not sacrifice the sanity of my contractors or employees because one client is tossing a fit, right? Right, it's, right. It's, but, but then that seeps through, though, that goes, that plays down and trickles down to the rest of the team in which they say, okay, hey, you know what? Yes, we want our customers to be super duper happy, but uh, we're not going to do it at the cost of losing a great team member. Right. Or, or getting that team member to be unproductive for two days in a row because he or she is still upset about that incident, right? Right, right. It's, it's um, when you start looking at it from the importance of, of the human capital, growth and scaling both start with that human capital, right? You have to have a team. You have, I'm, I'm not advocating either way, employees, contractors, uh, uh, remote employees. Right, that's another, just structural stuff. That's yes. just structural stuff. Exactly, right? exactly. It's, it's the way you treat, you select and treat 
that's why you also see that very common in larger uh, organization when they have sometimes high turnover. They, the talent comes in without being cultivated, right? Right. You, you don't bring someone in and say, here's the SOP, here's the onboarding paperwork, here's your insurance paperwork, sign it, and there you go, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's, a, that's a disaster. That's a recipe for a disaster, right? That, that's why you see some, some high turnovers. When you want your human capital to function correctly and have longevity, it requires investment. That investment doesn't have to be necessarily monetary. It can be assigning a mentor. It can be assigning, t- taking yourself. If you are in a smaller setting, uh, in the introduction, making sure the new per- employee feels as part of the team, start immediately getting their input so they have skin in the game, and many other things that a good leader would do. I mean, the mantra goes, right? A good leader creates more leaders. Right. If you go with that mentality in there and say, I'm a servant leader, and I will make sure that this team becomes all, becomes full of, full of leaders themselves. Yeah. From there, it's a snowball effect. Every new person you bring in, that cultural, that organizational culture just, uh, just drips down and, and trickles down to them. And you just have to keep an eye on it. But at the end of the day, you are creating more innovation because these people have stake in the game, right? They have skin yeah. in the game. They, they, they consider themselves emotional stakeholders. Right, and as right. such, productivity tends usually to be better. You, you, you get a lot better feedback that helps you have a better public-facing uh, um, presence. Then your employees become your advocate. They become basically your ambassadors, brand ambassadors, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you see that if you go on, on job sites like Glassdoor, you right. see the difference between some companies where people are raving about the CEO, saying that since day one, I've been involved, they have guided me, they have not thrown me in the deep end of the pool. And then on the other side, you see people saying, hey, this CEO, this management team uh, just does its own thing, never, you know doesn't take, whereby they should be taking the frontline employees' feedback, right? These right. are the, the guys that interact with the customers. Right. So it's in, in, in greater scheme of things, the attitude of the leadership is what's going to shape and keep the organization in a productive state. And well, that requires investment, yeah. of course. Yeah, and so the, so the flip side of that that I, that I don't think a lot of people work on either is, how to be a good follower. So, you know, how are you creating followership as well? Because all of us who are leaders have to follow another leader somewhere along the line. So, Absolutely. you know, how are we developing both our following skills and our leading skills? And that's, that's not always so easy. No, it's not. And that also is a organizational, uh, organizational top-down action, right? When the CEO shows or the entrepreneur shows that he or she is surrounding himself with advisors and actually take the advice and implement it, takes the feedback from employees and implement it. You are, you are showing and subliminally implying that, hey, there is leadership, but leadership has also to know when there is followership. 
right? Right. You, you, you lead or you follow, or it's a ever-changing one. Sometimes you lead, sometimes you follow, right? And those things are, again, all a matter of uh, leading by example. If the CEO or the entrepreneur is dismissive of all ideas, well, that means he wants to be the leader. He doesn't want to be a follower on anything, right? Why would the employees or the team members would want to pursue, uh, pursue a followership instead of they all wanting to be leaders? Yeah. So I, I, I sometimes try to tell people to think of the difference between acting like a boss and acting bossy. They are not the same thing. No, they're not. They're not. And, uh, you know, as the, I read that the other day somewhere, uh, <laughs> leadership is not a title. Leadership is an attitude. So it's, uh, it's really, it, it, is a, it is part of the organizational core values in which, in which you show it. And you can't, this is not one of those things that you can just say. These are things you have to lead by example, Right. You have to let your team see that you surround yourself with people that give you advice and you accept the advice. You, you got you to show that you take their advice into consideration. In right. serious, not just accepting it, have a Dropbox and put your recommendation in the box, where you engage in serious exchange of ideas with your team and allow for you to be convinced differently from your current position. Those are leading by example that install those values. And I am convinced that it starts on top and it fails on top. Well, so I, I think it's fascinating that in, in our discussion about growth and scaling, we haven't talked about all the amazing, cool technologies and all the wonderful tools and all that. What we talk about is the people side, right? It always comes down to the people side. And I think that's, you know, in I some ways that. wonderful, oh and, you know, and in, in some ways intentional, right? Because the tools don't do you a dang bit of good if you're, if you got the people side messed Precis up. Precisely. I, 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 well, it's, this is a coincidence. A few months ago, I had a conversation with a client. Uh, and his first thing was mm, us discussing the difference between managing an on-location team versus a uh, remote team. And there were several senior, uh, you know, company leaders, you know, the VP marketing, VP of operation, blah, 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 all sitting around, right? And everyone has a series of, of uh, tools and procedures. And, you know, I, I was sitting, I was listening and when it came my turn to talk, and I, I had to say it, I'm like, guys, I, dis I respectfully disagree. The question itself is flawed. There is no difference between a remote team and an location team. The difference is right. when uh, the, all the issues that are raised, like how do we make remote teams productive? Well, hire the right people. Right. It starts at the hiring. You cannot reshape a bad candidate into, well, yes, you can, but it's, it, it takes too much effort. So the hiring is where you make sure you hire productive people. You run them through tests. You got a personality test. You got a skill test before you, before you hire him. And then you don't have to worry about, am I using uh, go, to, uh, go to tools like uh, I don't know, like uh, Google Hangout or join me. 
for meeting or is that better to get a enterprise level one with video uh, conferencing? It doesn't matter. Right. No tool will replace your human capital. And a tool is only as good as its end user. Well, right, right. Well, I think it's been a fascinating conversation and I've, and I've taken a lot of your valuable time today. And next time we talk, we'll have to do it off the podcast so we can talk about family and stuff like that. So uh, you got it, my friend. And then we have lots more to talk about. We, we've only kind of scratched the surface once again. So I so appreciate you taking time with me, my friend. And uh, always a pleasure. It's always great to speak to you. And I always, always enjoy our conversation. Yeah. So where, where do you want people to look for you if they're going to come talk to you some more about stuff? Where should they find you? Uh, Kamiarshah.com. That's K-A-M-Y-A-R-S-H-A-H.com. I'm also a uh, contributing member to Forbes Coaches Council. Uh, so I'm, um, I'm quoted quite often, actually, in, in Forbes articles. Uh, I shouldn't be too hard to find. All right. Wonderful. It's been a pleasure talking to you again. Give my best to the family. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Cheers. What do you do for sales training and team building exercises? What do you do for customer service training and team building exercises? I know you're trying all kinds of things and there's some good stuff out there. But I swear, if anyone ever asked me to do another trust fall, my brain's going to explode. So let's come up with something different. I've been trying to find something different for a while. And I thought, well, why not? Let's come up with a sales training game or a customer service training game, something fun that everyone can get into and that they can laugh about and challenge each other and poke each other a little bit and feel some of the emotional ups and downs that you get when you're in customer service and sales. So I went to a game jam. Uh, headed up by the local regional economic development group here in Columbia and Boone County, Missouri. And I met uh, a group of game developers and we had so much fun that we ended up creating a game called Starship Junkyard, which is a great and hilarious way to do team building for your businesses, for your sales teams, for your customer service teams. And it's turned out to be just a great family and friends game too. Something you can sit down and play for half an hour, an hour, or a great pub game. It's hilarious. It's called Starship Junkyard. And you can find it on Facebook at uh, the Starship Junkyard, the card game. You can buy it on thegamecrafter.com. Go to thegamecrafter.com and look up Starship Junkyard and buy a copy and play it. It's hilarious. So try that for your next team building exercise. Try that for your next sales training meeting. Sit down and play Starship Junkyard and you will be happy you did. Go check it out on Facebook, Twitter. Go buy the game at thegamecrafter.com. The Starship Junkyard, the card game. Thank you.